Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. So great to see all of you. If you didn't receive a message card upon your entrance today, you can raise your hand right quick, and one of our leaders would love to serve you there in the back, one of our ushers. I see a couple hands back here. Uh, I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's so great, again, to see you this morning. I have been looking forward to this morning uh, for a while. I have been anticipating this morning for some time, and today I'm going to teach on prophecy. Prophecy. I'm entitling today's message, as you see at the top of your card, an eager desire to prophesy. An eager desire to prophesy. Can you say that with me? Say, an eager desire to prophesy. That didn't sound very eager at all. Okay, let's, let's try that again. An eager, an eager. desire to prophesy. Very good, very good. There is only so much you can cover in one teaching about prophecy in one Sunday. So, thus, I want to kick off this morning by giving you a few recommended reads. Things that I enjoy, things that have been encouraging to me. Gift number one recommendation, a book by Wayne Grudem called The Gift of Prophecy. You'll see on the screens behind me. Now, The Gift of Prophecy is an interesting read. It's fantastic. It's very academic, but it's very short. So I just want to say from the outset, um, if you're a little bit scared of academic reads, no need to be scared of this one. This one actually is about as easy as you can read for the academic portion, um, and it relates to prophecy. I'm going to give you the second one. This is an author I've come to read in the last few years. I love, he, he writes for a publisher called Paraclete Press. Paraclete just means Holy Spirit. He wrote a book called Fresh Air. His name is Jack Levison. I love Jack. He's coming out with a book actually next week. um, And he loves to focus in on the work of God's Spirit in the Old Testament. Most scholars, as it relates to Spirit-empowered Christology and Christianity, only focus on New Testament text, right? They always focus on the big few. He spends all the time unraveling uh, the beauty of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament text. Excellent, excellent read. Last one I'm going to give you. uh, This one's um, the one that no one normally knows about. Uh, He's not a scholar. His name is Greg Haslam. He wrote a book called Moving in the Prophetic. Uh, You're really, really, really going to like this one. This one's much longer, but this is very practical on the how-to side. It's a bit longer, like I said, but it's it's so practical on the the how-to. So there you are, just a few recommended reads, and I wanted to give those to you. We are in, again, this series called Third Person. I, for one, love what God is stirring in our church. Amen? We want so badly, and I want you to hear me, church. We want so badly to be a both-and kind of church. We want to be scriptures and the Spirit of God. We want to be knowledge of God and experience with God. We want to be orthodoxy, right thinking, and orthopraxy, right living. We could also say orthopathy, right feeling, right motion, right? It takes all of them to be healthy disciples. We just believe as a church that these things were never meant to be torn apart. These were not meant to be a dichotomy that we major in one and minor in the other. We are to be both and. All that to say, we have laid some groundwork, haven't we? Last week, I laid the groundwork for what it looks like to be spirit-empowered. Okay? We looked at the power. We, I've told you often it's about the presence, the power, and the person of the spirit. So last week, we talked about the person and the power of the spirit and how God desires to empower us. Now what I want to do today is I want to go into in-depth, into the New Testament, on what the New Testament calls the manifestations of the Spirit, okay? The manifestations of the Spirit. The best way I know how to do that is to turn to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 is the best place to start our study on prophecy. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing 1 Corinthians 14 as his second letter. You have to understand. We only have two Corinthians, but uh, 1 Corinthians is actually second letter. 2 Corinthians is third letter. You say, Craig, how do you know this? Because in 1 Corinthians, he responds to their response. So he has written them, they responded, then he responded to their response. That's what we find in the New Testament canon. And then they respond again, and he responds to their response again. That's what we call 2 Corinthians. But the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's telling them, about prophecy. Now, this is not a short chapter. 
This is a, a very conclusive chapter, a very exhaustive chapter. Now, to start off, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1. Notice what the text says. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, comma, especially prophecy. Paul writes that prophecy, and we're going to define that in just a moment, it is something that we are to eagerly desire. Now, in Greek, that word eagerly desire, leave it up a moment, is one word. It's not a, it's not a multi-word. It's not an adverb with the verb. It's one word. It's ezao. Zao being life. Ezao means to covet, to be jealous. Come into church this morning jealous that you would prophesy. Okay? This is not an option. Okay? Desiring prophecy for the New Testament believer is not an option. You have to desire it because we're told to do it. This is a command. Now, I want to get this really deep down in our heart today. He didn't say follow the way of love, and if you think you need it, try to ask for the gift of prophecy. It's not what he said. He said, as a New Testament believer, full of Jesus and full of his spirit, you are to eagerly desire. You are to covet, jealously desire prophecy. More than all of the other manifestations, by the way. More than the gift of healing, more than the gift of even the miraculous, you are to desire, Paul at least says, at the top of the list is the desire to prophesy. Now, all I have to do is read this verse, and for some of you, every red light in your dashboard just went off. I understand. I understand. So I'm going to have to do a lot of back and forth today, okay, because of the abuse that's taking place in the name of the Spirit. So your red lights go off in prophecy, and you're thinking, whoa, all right, here it goes. P. Craig's about to get weird. I came to this church. I was a little iffy last year to come to this church anyways. Not used to churches like this. I thought they were good Bible teachers. They've been really good in Bible teaching. And now, now they're left hooking me, right? Now they're turning on me. It's about to get weird. No, just listen this morning and give me a chance. Give me a chance. If I were to say, do you believe God speaks? I would think that the majority of you, both streaming live and here, are going to say, yeah, of course. The vast majority say, yeah, I believe God speaks. If I were to say, do you believe there are times when something comes into your heart and mind that is so powerful and it's about someone else, a phrase, image, a word, a thought, a scripture, and it's just so heavy that you feel you have to share it with them, you have to text it to them, you got to sit down with coffee with them, you got to call them. Do you believe in that kind of stuff? Most Christians I talk to would say, well, of course, that's just, that's just life in the kingdom. Well, that is also what the New Testament calls prophecy. Okay, That's what the New Testament declares is prophecy. Now, before we walk through the ins and outs of prophecy, let's take a step back. Last week, I took you on a 10-minute class. I'm going to take you on a 7-minute class now, okay? You ready? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump back in the Old Testament. We're going to go through the course. As we go through the course, we're then going to arrive back at our text in 1 Corinthians 14. As we get there, I pray we have a much better, solid understanding of what prophecy is all about. So let's go to the very first verse of the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Powerful text. Notice what the text says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God, the Ruach, the wind of God, was hovering over the waters. Very beautiful imagery here. I believe Genesis 1 should not be interpreted as an um, accurate depiction of the time frames of creation, but much more an artistic expression of who God is, who the Creator is. Very poetic in language. And, and Moses, writing in Genesis chapter 1, says this imagery is that there's a bird and he's flapping his wings over the darkness. Okay, if you're with us in DP students this week, um, we spent a lot of time talking about why God created the void before then the word shows up. Okay, because it's the same truth for our life is that there's void before the word recreates in our life. But the Spirit of God is hovering. He's, he's creating this beautiful, amazing imagery of this Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Now, Watch what happens. And God said, or could be translated, God spoke. Let there be light, and there was light. Jump down to verse 6, and God said. It could be translated, God spoke. Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And so God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. Jump down to verse 9. And God said, could be translated, God spoke. Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. Jump down to verse 14. And God said, could be translated, God spoke. Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. Notice this. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. The story goes on. Creation. However... No matter whatever way you read Genesis chapter 1 as a believer, 
There's all kinds of controversy in Genesis chapter 1 about whether or not it's six literal days of creation or not. Whether, listen to me, you read them as literal 24-hour days or you read this as simply poetry. Whether you think this happened thousands of years ago or you think this happened billions of years ago. The point itself in creation is that creation itself came from the mouth of God. That's the point. That's what Moses is communicating. That God is from the very beginning a speaking God. So God spoke the cosmos itself into existence. Now there's all sorts of ways God speaks, okay? We could do a whole series on the ways God speaks. But one of the many ways, and actually most probably common way God speaks, is God speaks through other people. He speaks through other people. When God chooses to speak through a man or woman, we call that prophecy. We declare that as prophecy. Now, let's skip over to Numbers chapter 11. So we saw that God spoke. Now, let's see the first prophet in Scripture. His name is Moses. Moses is ratified or affirmed by Jesus. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Jesus actually called the books, not the Torah. He called them the books of Moses. So Jesus is ratifying or bringing great affirmation to Moses as the prophet. And he is known as the first prophet of Israel. Now... As the first prophet of Israel, notice what happens. Numbers chapter 11, verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. Notice, he's speaking on behalf of God. And he brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent of meeting. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with them. And he took some of the power of the Spirit, power of the Ruach. He took some of the power of the Ruach that was on him, and he put it on the 70 elders. He took a little bit of a portion that was on Moses' shoulders, and he said, I'm going to spread that out over here on some of these elders' shoulders. And notice this. When the Spirit rested on him, they prophesied, but did not do so again. you got to love this text. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Madad had remained in the camp, and they, they were listed among the elders, but they were slackers. Okay, They were watching college football. It had been a big bag pandemic, but did not go out to the tent. Watch this. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. They prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran, a little eager man, right? And he, he, he told Moses, he said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, who was a, 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 a tetrarch, he was a, a, a pagan, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake, Joshua? I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets. And I'm going to go ahead and speak to Acts chapter 2 fulfillment right here is what Moses is saying. And that the Spirit would rest on all of them. I want the Lord to put His Spirit, His Ruach on all of the people. Now here Moses, the first prophet of all time, he is dreaming, if not praying, and wishing that all God's people could prophesy. Not just me, he says. I wish that all God's people could prophesy. Now... We've established God speaks. We've established Moses is the first prophet wants all to speak on behalf of God. So now let's go to Joel chapter 2. Now if you've got your Bible, you're going to go right. And we're going to skip forward a few hundred years. Joel chapter 2 verse 28. Now notice what the text says. It's in the prophets. If you've got to stop by the table of contents, no shame in your game. Okay? It's right in there, tucked away. Notice what happens. Fast forward hundreds of years later. Israel's now a nation, but she's not doing well. She's not doing well at all. So Joel, what he does by the Spirit of God is he starts to see over the horizon. So he's looking over the horizon at a new age, an age that is not currently present in his reality. And he starts prophesying of that age. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And afterward, meaning in the future, God, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show, watch this, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. What's taking place? Joel sees a day in the future when all of God's people will prophesy. Not just a select few, not just Moses and his pals outside the tent, but all of God's people, all flesh. Notice he said he's going to put his spirit on all flesh. Now listen to me. That's another way, it's the, 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 the Jewish way of saying Jew and non-Jew, okay? Jew and Gentile. You've got to understand, this is the ancient world. It was more racist than the modern world. I know it's hard to believe, but it was way more racist than you and I have ever dreamed about living in, okay? Way more racist. So they're looking at that culture, and he, this, is, this is startling to say that, that the Spirit of God is going to be on all flesh. It's going to be on Jew and non-Jew, 
He said on sons and daughters. In other words, not just one sexual orientation, but sons and daughters, right? Or, or, or gender, I should say. Even on my servants, he says. The rich and the poor. So this crosses every, oh, every social stratosphere, right? And he said everybody in this new age will prophesy because it will be a new age of the Spirit. Now, turn to Jeremiah one more before I think we're ready for the New Testament. Now, if you're in your Bible, you're going to go left. You say, Craig, is this later? This is actually, okay, one more thing you really need to know, okay, the, the Old Testament is not in chronological order, so we are to the left of Joel, but we're 100 years later, okay? Actually, probably about 200 years later. So now, Joel has given this prophetic vision, and Jeremiah is now going to communicate. This is about the future again. Notice what God says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Everybody say new. This is not the old covenant like Sinai, okay? This is not the old covenant. And with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. It's going to be similar, but it's not going to be like it. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. You hear this Hosea language. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. New age, declares the Lord. I will, this fascinating language, put my mind, or excuse me, my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. What is he saying? I will put the Torah in their minds and write it on their hearts. Verse 34. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now, I want you to see that for a moment. Notice the fascinating language here, okay? God says, I will put the Torah into their minds. The Torah is what God has to say. So essentially what the the writer is saying is, I will put what I'm going to say in their minds. I'm going to put what I'm going to say into their hearts. I'm going to place it in this new age. Minds, hearts. So in this new age in the future, the writer is telling us it will be different than it was with Moses. Now the Old Testament prophets, it was the audible voice of God, right? Moses went up on Sinai. He heard from the audible voice of God. He comes down from Sinai and he would say, God said, and he would say verbatim what God said. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. But in the future, it will not be that way anymore. It will be a direct deposit into your minds and into your hearts. I thought you would get a little more excited by this point in the message already. I thought I'd be getting some more locked in, okay? Maybe we're still a little bit scared about where this is going. In the new age, I'm not going to speak audibly. I'm going to speak and place it in your minds and in your hearts. Or to put it another way, I'm going to place it into your thinking and your feeling. That's that's how I'm going to operate. God would speak directly into the core of your being. Now, I think we're ready for the New Testament. But I don't think we're ready for 1 Corinthians 14 yet, okay? So let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, this is the day of Pentecost. Now, watch what happens. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, right? And all the believers were together in one place. I can... There we go. Awesome. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. And they seemed what to be... Uh, saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit... And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Some, however, made fun of them. Verse 13 jumped down and said, Ah, they've had too much wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. He said, Fellow Jews, let me explain to you. Listen carefully what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. He didn't say they're not drunk. He He said they're not drunk as you suppose. Your interpretation of their drunkenness is a little off. He said, it's only nine in the morning. Evidently, that's not a deterrent for some, though, in our culture. Okay? It's five o'clock somewhere. Um, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And what does he do? He then quotes Joel chapter 2, verse 28. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, what? I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, Peter is saying, we aren't drunk. Come on, guys. This is is that. What? This is Joel's prophecy. We've been waiting for this time. We, as the body of Christ, we, 
We as God's people, we as the chosen individuals, we as those who have been in what the scripture calls the elect of God, we have been waiting for this moment. This is, as Peter says, the age of the spirit. We're here. It's now. This is a new world. And this new world we live in is a world of prophecy and of dreams and of visions. Now, turn over to Acts chapter 21. Now, this raises all sorts of questions, all sorts of questions. This is our last stop, by the way, before we get back to our original text, 1 Corinthians 14. In this new world, the prophecy is not the exact same thing as it was with Moses on Sinai. How do you know? Let's read this text. Acts chapter 21. Leaving the next day, we reach Caesarea. Caesarea is in the north of Judea, uh, on the, on the, the Sea of uh, Mediterranean Sea, and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist. And one of the seven, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Interesting. Interesting. Four daughters who prophesied. It's almost like, it's almost like what just took place in Acts 2 actually was real. It's like he really did pour out his spirit on women and daughters. Fascinating. Um, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus. Oh, Interesting. They prophesied, but then somebody's called a prophet. We're going to look at this continuum in a minute because it's two different things. So we got prophecy happening out of the mouth of daughters and then somebody who's called a prophet. And the prophet Agabus, look what he, he comes down from Judea, he came over to us, he took Paul's belt, he tied his own hand feet with it, and he said, the Holy Spirit says to you, Paul, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand them over to the Gentiles. Look at this great illustration, first illustrated sermon. And when we heard this, we and the people there, who's we? Luke. Luke is mad. Luke doesn't want Paul going to Jerusalem. Luke doesn't want his head on a platter. Luke agrees. This is the Holy Spirit saying, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Don't do it. But notice, not Yahweh speaks, but the Holy Spirit speaks. This is a great story. Now, we learned two things about prophecy from this story. You ready? Number one, prophecy here in this New Testament age is similar but different. It's different from the prophets of the Old Testament. This is not the same as Moses on Sinai with an audible voice of God. It is, ready? It is impressions put into the hearts and minds of people who know Jesus. But it's very subjective. It's not objective. It's what makes it dangerous, right? It's very subjective. Second thing we learn about prophecy out of Acts 21 is that there are three parts to a prophecy. Everybody say three. There is a revelation, then there must be an interpretation, then there is an application. Now watch this. There is a revelation that must be followed by an interpretation that is followed by application. Part one is the revelation. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, this is the easiest part of this whole process. You get an image. You get something from the Spirit of God. You get a word. A word keeps being repeated in your heart, in your mind. You get a phrase. You get a scripture. You get an image. You get multiple images. You get a short film. You get a feeling. You get a sensation. You get something put in your mind and heart. Now, part two is the interpretation. Now, listen. You have to then ask, what does this mean? What does this mean? Like, well, what's actually happening here? All I have is a word, God. Who is this for? What is this for? When is this for? What's going on? Then part three is the application. You say application, what is that? Like, what am I supposed to do with this, God? Who am I supposed to share this with? Is it for me? Is it not for me? Is it me and someone else? Is it part me and part someone else? Is it me and that person? Is it for the whole body? What am I, how am I supposed to live in light of this? So we're trying to teach our kids, or at least we've began to try to start teaching our kids about the Spirit of God and what we call listening prayer. So we sat down and... Um, and uh, I want them to know, and I believe very clearly with their hearts, they can clearly hear God at their age. Oh, I mean, the whole nation of Israel has changed because a young little boy um, had the ability to recognize his mentor's voice. Eli sounded a lot like the Lord's voice. And he said, finally, hey, I'm going to listen. And God changed the nation through a young man laying down one night. So God can speak to our children, right? So we set our children down. And listen, we got three kids, right? We got ten. We got eight and three, okay? So we take out our Bibles. Just a few weeks ago, we start reading. Uh, the, the, the Bible, and we have to pray. You say, why do you have to pray? We need the Holy Spirit to come first just to get them to set still, okay? So if we can, if the Holy, if, if the Holy Spirit will just, will just take their Achilles heels out from under them, that's, that's a win, okay? So we sat down at our table, and I grabbed our Bibles, and Harper's got her Bible, and Marley, or Knox was here, and Marley was there, and, and so I said, okay, let's open our Bibles, and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read a text, but once we read, we're gonna get really quiet, and we're gonna sit there. And we're going to ask God to speak to us. And then you're going to see what happens. See if an image comes to mind. And whenever you get something, you just say, Daddy or Mommy, let me share, right? So we do this, and we proceed, 
and uh, some silence takes place. And Knox is finally like, well, I got something. And I'm like, what is it? And he's like, I got a song. And, and so he shares this portion of the song. And Meredith and I cannot think of what song he's talking about. So now we're getting off of to- topic here. So the Spirit of God has given him a song. And so now we're trying to figure out in Google YouTube lyrics to try to figure out which song he's actually listening. I'm like, babe, you're the worship person here. I mean, just come on, help a brother out. And so finally we get to it. You know, I'm thinking at any moment, you know, Marley's about to see a black horse and a white horse. And, you know, I think Harper's about to see SpaghettiOs and meatballs. I, don't, I have no idea what's about to happen. But you, you can understand we're sitting there, and, and, and for Knox and for Marley, they both get songs. And I said, okay, step two. Okay, so you got a song. Okay, here's step two. You now got to ask for interpretation. So you ask God, why did you give me that song? What does that mean? And then we got to ask the third step, application. So what does that song mean for me right now? How can that song be applied to my life now? You see the stages. Listen, folks, there's revelation. I see this. Ooh, I need an interpretation. What does that mean? Thirdly, I need application. All that to say that in the exact same process, we use that same process when we use the scriptures. Let me explain to you. You have the text. You're reading your Bible and you read Acts 21. That's the text. So once you've read the text, what do you then do? You say, okay, I want to interpret the text. What does that mean? And what did that mean then? What does that mean for now? And then, let me tell you something. Interpreting text is much harder than reading it. Okay? Much harder. In the 21st century, you don't have to teach, as pastors, you don't have to teach your people to read the Scripture. You have to teach your people to rightly read the Scriptures. Okay? It's not enough just to read them. It's to rightly read. So you have to interpret. Then you got to apply. The revelation is the easy part. The interpretation and the application are the weird parts. Okay? The reason we get scared is because of what's happened in step two and step three. Okay? So that's why so many times with prophecy, God will speak and it will be spot on from the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Listen to me. It will be an exactly from the Holy Spirit of God himself. Where it gets weird is the interpretation and application. We see that in Acts 21. That's why I picked this passage. What happens? Agabus sees a revelation from God. We don't know if he's in prayer, but he sees Paul in Jerusalem getting arrested. He sees that he's not going to have freedom anymore. So you know what he does? He interprets that. When it's time to interpret it, he gets a belt. He walks over to the man of God and he ties up the man of God's hands. And then he applies it. You don't need to go. Now watch what's amazing. Do we believe that the Holy Spirit told Agabus, Paul, would be arrested? Yes, we all agree with that. But you know what Paul does? Paul says, hey, I agree, that's from Jesus. But actually... Your interpretation and application are wrong. I'm not only going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to willingly go and I'm going to give my life. Now watch this. You see how Paul's relationship to Agabus is very different from Israel's relationship to Moses. When Moses said God said, they don't get a chance to weigh it. In the New Testament, when God says something, the people get a chance to interpret and weigh it and apply it. Are you seeing this? You've got to see this, okay? Paul said, hey, you got it. I believe it. That's from Jesus. You got it. Keep tying them up. But you can understand. You can tie my hands all you want. Agabus, you're like the 14th person that's came confirmed this, okay? You ain't no big deal, boy. I mean, for la- go read the text. You, for the last few weeks, the Holy Spirit's already been telling me I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be bound up in Jerusalem. So I appreciate that great little gesture, but um, I know you love me. And Luke, who's inspired of God to write the book of Acts, doesn't want him to go either. <laughs> Does he? We just read it. He said, we pleaded. Paul, don't go. Paul said, Pfft. Yeah, I'm going. And I'm actually going to die. So, when we talk about New Testament prophecy, we don't hear the audible voice of God. That's not what we mean. Yet we mean something still very beautiful. Now, I finally, we're ready for 1 Corinthians 14. You hanging in there? You hanging in there? Okay, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Notice what he says again. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. That phrase, gifts of the Spirit, is one word in Greek. Everybody say one word. It is pneumatakos. Literally, literally means, um, it, it, it literally means spirituals. Let me say it this way. It's like, it's like saying, let me just put it this way. The word gifts, you see that in our English translation? That word gifts is not in the original language. Okay? It's not in the original language. So I would argue that a much better translation is eagerly desire spirituals. Or we can say it this way, the stuff the Spirit does. So eagerly desire spirituals, especially prophecy. You say, Craig, why do you say that? I want you to understand something. 
That word gifts is not in the text. Craig, why are you making such a big deal about us recognizing the word gifts is not in the text? Because you got to realize that this is open to all believers, not just those with the gift of prophecy. This is not gifts, okay? He says you're eagerly desiring spirituals. That's literally the translation. You want to eagerly desire the things the Spirit does, okay? Now later, in Romans 12, he's going to say we read about a gift of prophecy. That's a gift. And then in Ephesians, we call them ascension gifts. You have a permanent endowment of calling on someone called a prophet. He gave some to the apostles, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teachers, right? So we have eagerly desire prophecy. We have gift of prophecy. We have prophet, okay? It's best to think of the prophetic in a continuum, if you will. So on the one side, you have prophecy. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And this is open to anyone. I want to tell you again, if you are a believer in this room and you have the Spirit of God living in you, this is open to you. You have an eager desire to prophesy. Then you have the gift of prophecy in, in Romans 12, which is in some way, you some people, just by the way they're made by God, by their wiring in their brain, their wiring in their heart, and their communication skills, they just have a gift for prophecy, right? I mean, they just the men and women who have an uncanny ability to pierce right to the heart of what is right and wrong. I, am, I feel like the Lord is opening me up to believe that often this endowment or what we call this giftedness of prophecy is actually on people before they even receive the Spirit of God. Like I think of David Foster who can write novels and he can pierce through right and wrong. If he got the Spirit of God, there's no telling what God would do with him, right? But he has by his wiring, by the very makeup of his life, he has this uncanny ability to, to literally strike at the heart of what's black and white, what's right and wrong, right? Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the prophet. These are people who probably began 1 Corinthians 14, 1, just eagerly desiring it. And over a period of time, they got experience in years doing it in safe context to become faithful enough to steward what God was giving them. And then through maturity and through trust in the community they're a part of, they became a prophet. Now, prophet is the role they play in the kingdom. Okay? They call God's people back to the faithfulness of God, covenant faithfulness, to be faithful to God. This passage is not about that end of the continuum. It's about this end of the continuum. Okay? This passage is about us as believers desiring it. The kind of prophecy that, again, is open to all of us. If you follow Jesus, you have God's spirit in you, this is for you. Now, what does Paul mean here by prophecy? Well, let me give you a few definitions from some leading New Testament scholars that I really like. Okay? I like these. Wayne Grudem, this is what he said prophecy is. He says, speaking what God spontaneously brings to mind. Prophecy is speaking what... Spontaneous, though, it's not, it's not contrived, it's uncontrived. Spontaneously, we're speaking what the Spirit brings to mind. Ben Witherington, oh, Ben Witherington, he's awesome. He's awesome. This is what he writes. He says, prophecy is not a sermon by 21st century standards. It is a, how do you like this academic language? It is a spontaneous utterance. Prompted by the Spirit and based on a sudden, remember this is sudden, this is not contrived, uncontrived revelation from God. Perhaps my favorite one, Greg Haslam. This is in the book that I just showed you called Moving the Prophetic. This is what he said. Prophecy is a phenomenon that results directly from the access the Holy Spirit has to our minds. Whereby he can create pictures in our imagination and supernatural dreams while we are asleep. He can put words, ideas, or scriptures into our heads with such force that we know there is something with it that carries with it the responsibility to pass on to other people. Now let's talk about how it comes. If prophecy doesn't come necessarily by an audible voice of God, how does it come? Usually it comes by impressions. Everybody say impressions. Now, these are, this is not an exhaustive list. Please, all templates break down. But can I give you a template today? I think this will help you. First of all, a scripture. A scripture. Now, this is called Prophecy 101. It's the beginning prophecy, but it's prophecy. Okay, what is this? Um... Man, I was praying for you today, and this scripture was in my heart. Oh, how churchy is that? Take that language out. I was praying for you today. Heavy on my heart? What does that even mean? Is it heavy, weighty? <laughs> like, we, we use this language. So I was praying for you today, and a scripture kept coming up in my thinking. Uh, do you mind if I text it to you? Oh, sure. Oh, okay, cool. Here it comes. Um, I was praying for you today, and I thought, you know, I just couldn't get the scripture. We were singing the song today, and I looked over to you, and you were worshiping, and I saw you were a little bit emotional, and... Immediately, the Spirit of God put a scripture in my mind, in my heart, and I couldn't get away, and I was ruminating on it, and I just feel like I have to share. Is it, is it okay if I share? That's Prophecy 101, okay? It's scripture. It can be a word. Everybody say a word. 
Now, a word that you hear, you might hear the word hope. You might be praying for somebody and you hear hope, 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 hope. It's happened to me many times. You might hear this, stop, 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 stop. You might hear a word, a word that consistently gets repeated, okay? A buddy of mine who's streaming right now, he just texted me and said he was streaming, which just, just as in like I didn't feel it, but like just before church. And um, last year, I was quickened last night. I was praying, it was late, and I was praying and the Lord quickened me because he gave me a word of prophecy last year. And he texted me something that was off. It seemingly at that moment, I knew God had called us in the previous seasons, but he made a, a very clear promise, God did, via what we would do in church planning. And he made a very clear prophetic utterance to me years ago, and it then came again last year through my friend. This is my friend who actually led me to the Lord. And he talked about the area of promotion by the voice of God coming from this community. And as I was praying last night, the Lord quickened my spirit. Because we met last week with a guy who said the last two sermons that we've preached on the radio have gone to about 125 to 130,000 people each time. And that's exactly the prophecy. I won't read it to you fully because I just can't do that kind of stuff with people that I don't completely know and understand and value and can take rightly what God is saying. But that was a prophetic word to me. So what is that? It's just a phrase. So he got this phrase, and he had the boldness and courage and clarity enough to say, and that text was so spot on, Brian. I appreciate so much you doing that. And he said, actually, I can't get you out of my head. In fact, I want to give $1,000. He said, I looked over at my wife and said, i got to give $1,000 to the building campaign uh, dwelling place. And she said, well, you better get the checkbook out. Yeah. Thank you, brother. I appreciate so much. Now, on the other side, it might be a picture. Particularly, listen, if, if you are more visual, so if you're a more visual person, Okay, like you grew up homeschool and none of your parents let you watch anything on TV. So everything you read, you know, you just see it. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, this is awesome. I'm not trying to beat you up here. This is amazing, right? Like this is why people that are homeschooled can't watch or can't listen to humor, humor podcast because the humor is so crass that every time they hear something spoke, they visualize it. I mean, it's just, this is miserable. Okay. If you're a visual person, I mean, it's just awful, right? So, so if you're a more visual person, then God may give you an image. Now, listen. Most of the time, God speaks to me through a scripture. You know why? Because I'm a wordsmith. I mean, I, 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 like, I, I love reading words. Like I will spend time on thesaurus.com for fun. Okay? I love words. I love them. So it would make sense then that God won't give me images. He'll give me words, and he does. Because he normally speaks to us in the way that he's created us, in the way that he's wired us. Okay? And why? Because just like I speak to my family in different ways, because every member in my family is different, God will speak to his children in different ways because every member in his family is different. You might just see a picture in your mind, or maybe it's more like a short film. Okay, short film. That's not like one picture, but that's like a series of pictures. It may be two, three, five, six, seven. It might just move very quickly. Okay? It almost feels, let me give you an analogy. For me, when this happens, it almost feels like a memory, if I can say it that way. Okay, so it's not a memory. It's not a memory, but it feels like that. It's, a, it's almost like a, a premonition. It's almost like a, a replaying, a, a deja vu of what God is doing. I never forget. Let me tell you a quick, quick, quick story. I'll make it quick. I was in the Philippines several years ago, and I was there on a Saturday night, and a, a great mentor of mine came over uh, to me, and he was praying for me, and he gave many prophetic words. One of the prophetic words that the Holy Spirit gave to me through the mouth of Billy Wilson that night was that I needed to stay on the journey. Now, that phrase just literally, stay on the journey, stay on the journey. Well, the next day, I was to leave the Philippines to come back home. And when leaving the Philippines, I'm thinking, okay, this is the prophetic word. Stay on the journey. Don't get ahead. Don't jump ahead. Don't try to accomplish God's purpose and the power of the flesh and the arm of the flesh. Okay, I got it. Stay on the journey. God's got it. And um, I'm coming back home. I've never had God confirm a prophetic word in the natural so quickly like he did this time. So I'm on my way home. I leave uh, the Philippines, and I take my uh, four-hour flight up to Nagoya, uh, Tokyo, and I don't sleep. And, and the night before I left, I didn't sleep thinking I'd sleep on the plane, but that was a mistake, okay, because I didn't sleep on the plane because my knees are like this for 19 hours. And so I get into Nagoya. I turn around, get on a flight for 12 hours to Detroit. So here I go, take over top of the North Pole, and I'm coming into Detroit, and I land in Detroit. It's like 12, 15 in the afternoon. Now, my flight from 
Detroit. My wife is going to pick me up, okay, um, in Chattanooga. My flight from Detroit was supposed to leave at like 7.30 at night, and I was going to get in Chattanooga at 9.45 p.m. But I got off of the plane. It's like 12.15. I'm like, I've got seven and a half hours. So I walk through customs. I go up to the desk. I talk to the Delta agent. I'm like, hey, Delta agent, uh, is there any way you can just route me to get home faster? And they're like, yeah, absolutely, I can. I can get you out on a plane to Atlanta. Now it's going to take another stop, but I'm going to get you to Atlanta at 3 o'clock. You get to Atlanta, and then you can turn around and immediately get on a plane, and you'll be back home around 5 o'clock rather than 9.45 tonight. And I said, consider it done. Change my luggage, and here I go, walking into the Atlanta terminal, okay? So I get on the plane. I finally pass out. Next thing you know, it's like I wake up, and I don't even know what day it is, and the plane is going in circles around Atlanta. And we were like, we cannot land the plane because we got horrible, horrible thunderstorms. I look down at my watch, and it's 5 o'clock. Oh, yay, I've just now missed my connecting flight to Chattanooga. I get off the plane in Atlanta. It's the worst it, I have ever seen it. There is people everywhere. Flights are all shut down. You have those little rooms or the phones you can call an agent because you can't even stand in the line to get an agent. And I call, and they say, hey, the first one we can put you on is tomorrow at 2 p.m. Tomorrow at 2 p.m. Spend the night in the hotel, okay? At this point, I'm literally so ticked. I said, where is the groom van that I can go hop in the van and you will drive me up to Chattanooga, okay? I don't care if my... my they said, well, your luggage is not going to be here. You're going to have to come back to Atlanta. I said, I don't care. I've been traveling for like 30-something hours, okay? All right, I'm really smart. I got off the journey. And so I look at the lady and I say, I'm leaving. I get my ticket to the van. I'm walking through the terminal. There is no spiritual thought in my mind at all. There's ticked off thoughts in my mind. And as I'm walking, the Spirit of God speaks to me. Says, I told you last night, Craig, to not get off the journey. I got in the groom's van. I made my way to Chattanooga. I pulled into East Ridge, Georgia, right there in Chattanooga. Got out and hopped in Mayor's car. It was 9.45 p.m. The exact time. Listen to me. Listen to me. The exact time I would have arrived in Chattanooga if I would have stayed faithful to be on the journey. Now, I've never had God prophetically declare and confirm something so quickly in my life like he did that time. See, that was a word. That was a phrase. Or maybe you're a gut kind of person. You get a gut feeling. Have you ever had that, that feeling? Like where you're like, I don't know what this is, but something is not right about that person. Husband, you ought to be saying hello, amen, thank you, Jesus, right now. Because that wife will do that for you all the time. I don't know what it is. You need to stay far left from that lady, Okay. I don't know what it is. Can't really quite my, put my finger on it, but you need to, mm-hmm, yep, let me see your phone. Okay, that'll do you good. That'll do you good. That'll do you good. What is that, paranoia? Maybe. <laughs> or it could be Jesus. It's not always Jesus, by the way. Hear me, hear me. It's not always Jesus. Then maybe... This is not scriptural, but I've had people, friends who really operate in the prophetic, and this happens a lot to them. They have a sensation in their body. You say, Craig, what do you mean? It's more rare, but sometimes I hear stories. They say, God will give you a pain in your body for a brief moment that is a mirror of the ongoing pain in someone else's body that he wants to heal. So you'll be in a gathering, you'll be in a connect group, and God will give an instant of a pain in a part of the body that he wants to communicate that he desires to heal in another person's body. Then finally, either a dream or a vision. Now, Craig, what do you mean? I can spend an entire series on this one. Okay, basically the difference is this. A dream is when you're sleeping. <laughs> By the way, my therapist helped me tremendously this last year. Meeting with my therapist, my therapist very clearly said, your dreams are a byproduct of your subconscious. Okay, Now you could sometimes be digesting pizza, but most of the time... It's a, it's a byproduct of your subconscious reality. So your subconscious reality is consistently communicating something. And if you'll pay attention to those dreams, even if you're not a person where God speaks to you by dreams much, because he doesn't speak to me much by dreams, okay? I mean, I'll have a dream, and it's really good for about the first 30%, and then I'll go down the road, and the dude will be jumping around in a suit with a Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse tie on and selling pizza. You know, it's like, where does this guy come from? You know, like right in the middle of my dream. So, but, but sometimes he speaks by dreams, okay? Now, then a vision. You know what a vision is? It's a dream, but you're awake. And I want to say here, it is very intense and it's very heavy. Like It's almost like a trance. It happened to me over 10 years ago. It's happened one time in my life. I was in Los Angeles. I was on Skid Row, and I went into literally a vision, a trance. I'm not too eager to experience it again. I'm really good with dreams, God, if you want to allow that to happen. It, it is, it's intense. It's extremely heavy. 
Okay? And you'll, you'll see very clearly what it is that God wants you to see. So it could be a scripture, it could be a word, it could be a phrase, it could be a short film, it could be a gut feeling, it could be a sensation in your body, it could be a dream of vision. Now, before we talk about how to prophesy, let's, let's finish out this text. Paul goes on, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. He says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesied edifies the church. Leave that up there. Okay? I wanted you to see, notice two things. Prophecy, number one, is strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Prophecy is strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That, by the way, is what the voice of God sounds like. It is strengthening, it's encouraging, it's comfort. That doesn't mean God can't rebuke you, but when you get rebuked, it almost feels good, and you feel strengthened. You feel encouraged and you feel comfort. Anybody ever felt that? Even through the, okay, you don't believe God spanks anybody. Follow me around for a week, okay? You'll find out really quickly, okay? So it could, it could be encouraging, strengthening, and yet comforted. Now, notice that is the exact, exact opposite of the enemy's way of speaking into our minds, isn't it? Did you know the enemy, by the way, is a believer? You can still, the enemy can speak into your mind and heart. You know this, right? Okay, we need to make this clear. So as a believer, the enemy can still speak. Now, the enemy's voice isn't strengthening. It's not encouraging and it's not comfort, Okay? It's not strengthening, it is guilt and shame. So let's look at the converse. So here's what the enemy's voice is. You're horrible, God's angry with you, you'll never amount to anyone, no one loves you, your family doesn't love you, your spouse doesn't love you, they're never gonna love you, you're a disappointment, you're gonna continue to be a disappointment. They didn't like it at that church, they're not gonna like it at this church. They're not gonna love you, they're not gonna care about you, they're gonna spit you out, you know, eat you up, chew you up, and spit you out. That is not the voice of God. It is not encouraging, which is the second part of prophecy. It is discouraging. Here's what the enemy's voice sounds like. It will never happen. You might as well give up now. Here's the number one area you know the enemy's voice is speaking. It'll be like, quit, 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 quit. Quit, stop, give up. No one cares. Not making a difference. Don't move forward. And it never sounds like, thirdly, comfort. It always is anxiety. It always is fear. It is always worry. It is always what if. And then the what if leads to a what if. And that what if to a what if, what if. And then the what if to the what if, what if, what if, what if. And we, what? We follow these rabbit trails of the enemy's voice. Which is why the enemy's voice, to borrow the Paul's language, tears you down. And God's voice lifts you up. After prophecy, folks, you should feel strengthened. Like you could take on the world or at least you can get out of bed tomorrow. Because I've had prophecy that just did the second one. Okay? Now let me tell you why prophecy and hearing the voice of God is so important. Okay? Next slide. This is so, so important. Okay? Next slide. Next slide. If you carefully listen and honestly think about the way you think throughout the day, I would be willing that most people in this room find that you talk yourself into doing things far less frequently then you already justify things you've already decided to do. Okay, I got to say that again. Okay, I don't think that hit. So I think the majority of what we do as believers is we talk ourselves out of doing things way more frequently. Okay? Or we could say it this way, the converse. We talk ourselves into doing things far less frequently than we already justify the things we've already decided in our mind to do which is why renewal of the mind and the gift of prophecy is so important. That's why these passages are so key. Secondly, notice prophecy is rarely about the future. It's about the future, but rarely about the future. Most of the time, prophecy is about strengthening, encouraging, and comfort in the here and now. And listen to me, even when it is about the future, it's less about prediction and more about preparation. So what, think of Agabus. It's less like, this will happen, Craig, on this day, at this time, in this place, in this hour. And more about, hey, um, here's what's going to come into your life. And in light of that, uh, here's how you need to live now. That's New Testament prophecy. Uh, don't worry about the date. Don't worry about when it's coming, but it's coming. So you need to live now in light of what you know then. In light of your future, here's what you need to do here and now. Now skip to verse 22. We're almost finished. Who's on my keys today? You can come join me. Verse 22 through 26. He said, Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. 
What's this prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers and unbelievers come in, they're going to say, you're out of your mind. Like, I, we don't even understand what's going on. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in, while well, everyone is prophesying. Everybody say everyone. Everyone means everyone. That doesn't mean a select few are to prophesy. It means everyone is to prophesy. They are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by the best ones up front. No, by all. Paul is making really clear what's supposed to happen in the gathering here. We are all prophesying, and we, the non-believers, are brought under judgment by all of the believers. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, and they'll say, God is really among you, DP. By the way, if you're in a church where prophecy is practiced, it's really scary because it's hard to hide. Okay, That's why nominal Christians don't attend churches like that. Okay, You're never going to get called out. You can rock vanilla straight into the grave. In a, in a church that doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm, I'm sorry, friends. You just can. You just can. But it's scary. It's frightening, but it's awesome. Okay? Because you got that secret really laid bare in your heart. You know, really secret. And then all of a sudden, you get around spirit-filled people. And who knows what's about to happen? I want to give you one thought. I could write a dissertation on this passage. Let me give you one thought. Verse 25. Paul envisions the kind of church where everyone prophesies. While everyone is prophesying, everyone's brought, the non-believers brought in judgment by all. And when that happens, when that happens, when prophecy is alive within a church, people walk in and they're like, "Woo, God's here." And nothing wrong with academic theology, but this isn't weird, empty academic theology. This is, well, God's really among you. I, I'm all for academic theology, but we're both, and not either or. And it's tragic to me that some people, even in our own city, believe that when God finished the last sentence in Revelation with his co-author John, he dropped the mic and said, Oh, see you at resurrection. Study your Bible. No, he's still talking. He's still speaking. Let he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says. But prophecy is not something that's error-free, is it? So he goes on in verse 26. And he says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, revelation or tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done so the church may be built up. Paul envisions a participatory church where we do not go home and say, what did you think of Pastor Craig's message today? That is not your role in this church. Your role is to come to church this morning thinking, what can I contribute? Am I going to give a word or a hymn? Am I going to encourage him? Am I going to pray? Am I going to lay hands? Do you see this? It's totally different from our American culture. We are participatory. Whoa, how would you think about that church? You think that church preaching was pretty good? We'll, we'll not go to this church if that church is preaching. No, 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 no. That's not how church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be, I'm coming forward to contribute, to speak life. Now, the problem in that kind of free, creative environment is called order, isn't it? Because things can get out of order. The church in Corinth was so out of control, so Paul spends the rest of the chapter explaining how this is done. Look at verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak. Paul is so eagerly desiring them to prophesy, he says, I want minimum two or three people talking. And the others should carefully weigh what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, a.k.a. spontaneous, this is not a person who walked up to the pulpit with a nice little book in their hand ready to preach. This is somebody who's sitting there trying to mind their own business, and boom, there comes prophecy. So what are they going to do? They're going to stand up and speak. And what? The first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone. We don't want anybody leaving DP today not instructed and encouraged. The Spirit's prophet subject to control of prophets. That is a whole sermon by itself. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all of the congregation of the Lord's people. So he says, don't just swallow it whole. You should weigh carefully what's said. Is this from God? Is it not? Is it part from God? Is it part from Joe and his agenda? He says, no one's to monopolize the prophecy. And finally, look at verse 39. He jumps down and says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, how does he end the chapter? Be eager to prophesy and don't you dare forbid speaking in tongues. So he begins the chapter, eager to desire prophecy, and he ends the chapter, be eager to prophesy. Don't get weary. Don't get out of control. Here's how you do it. Boom, 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 boom. Cool, awesome. Let's go to the next chapter. That's how Paul says this is something you're eager to desire. Now, how do you do this? This is the nuts and bolts. Of course, this is a template, but I'm going to give you just quick steps. First, how do you prophesy? You create speech, space and listen. 
That's it. You quiet your heart and mind before the Lord and you learn to listen to God's voice every day, every moment of the day. You do your scripture reading. I do this every morning. If I'm reading my scripture, God, what do you want to say to me? I end my prayer time and say, what do you want to say? Is there anything you want to say to me today? God, is there anything you want to say through me today? Is there a text I can send to anybody? Is there a call I can make right now? And sometimes it's crickets. And sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Woo, yeah, ah, ooh, right? Secondly, see what comes to mind. What do you hear? Is there a scripture? Is there a word? Is there a phrase? Maybe you see something. Maybe it's a film. Maybe you have a sense in your gut. Thirdly, then you got to ask God for an interpretation and the application. So God, what does this mean? <laughs> and what am I supposed to do with this? Is it for me? And then you ask the two follow-up questions. That's point number four. What is that? Who is this for? And when is this for? Is this for DP as a whole? Or is this for my connect group? Is this for me? Is it for my family? Is it for my kids? Is it for my wife? Is this for right now? Is this for later on? And then finally, what do you do? You deliver the message. Now, a few thoughts on that. Can I just say real quick, don't ever say, please just don't ever say, God said, just don't do it. Okay, look at me, church, look at me. I, 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 we haven't put this in our bylaws, but just hear me. Don't ever go up to somebody and say, God said. That's so much hubris and so much pride, and it's so damaging and manipulating, even when it's well-meaning. Like, unless God speaks to you and you record it on your iPhone audibly, and you go up to the person and say, listen to what he said, don't say God said. A better way to approach it like this is, you know, I have this sense. Because I'm trying to learn the gift of prophecy, and I was praying. Would you take this and test it and see, see whether it's from God or not? Just, just approach it that way. Hey, um, I was praying for you the other day. I had this sense. This picture came to mind. Would you take it and test it? So you deliver the message with humility, with courage, and love. Everybody say humility. This is not God says, and I'm Moses. But this is, I have a sense, and I'm not sure if I'm right or not, but I really believe this is from God. Would you test it? Everybody say courage. This is scary to do sometimes, isn't it? Like sometimes it's really easy. Like, oh, it's my wife. Tell her something good about her. Awesome. That's a great prophecy. But then sometimes it's like Friday afternoon. I got done washing a car and I was coming to all night prayer. Before I did, I stopped by Subway off of Canton Exit. I walk in, there's a lady standing there. I've seen her before. I stand in line, I get my sandwich. I walk over to my table and I sit down. I say, can I eat and inside? They say, yeah, I'm gonna eat my sandwich real quick. And I look over her, the life of God is drained out of this African-American lady. And I look at her and God said, immediately go give her money you just made on your car. Well, God, I just made that money on the car. Yeah, I want you to stand up, walk over, and give her the money that you just made on your car. So I got up, I walked over to her. I said, what's your name? She said, my name's Tara. I said, Tara, I'm Craig. I said, um, I'll give you this money. And here comes Niagara Falls. My car, I work at the Dollar General right there in my car. My car doesn't work anymore. My son's having to come pick me up from Jasper and take me to work. And I said, well, Jesus knows exactly where you are, Tara. He loves you so much. He sent one of his own children, yours to out, don't you, to come over and give you some money. See, it's harder to do that, right? Because you just sweat for three and a half hours detailing a vehicle. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not, but you do it with courage, you do it with humility, you do it with love. And then finally, in love, you don't prophesy in anger or pride or condescending tone. Even if it's a rebuke, it's always in love. The person should walk away saying, oh, that was strengthening. Now, that's how you give a prophecy. Come on, team. Can I tell you how you should receive a prophecy? Everybody say receive. 1 Thessalonians 5. I love this passage. It is so powerful. It's only four sentences, but it's like a powerhouse. He said, don't quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. really short. Paul deals with both sides of the continuum, doesn't he? He says, don't quench the spirit. Well, Craig, how do I do that? By treating prophecies with contempt. When there's a prophecy for you and you quench the spirit and say, I don't believe in that kind of stuff, you quench the spirit. When you push the voice away of God away, church, listen to me, you quench the spirit and you take the, you take the fire of God in your life and you smother it with a blanket. He said, don't do that. Don't do that. And if you're here today and this is weird for you and you're real skeptical, and you got a lot of questions going on in your mind right now, that is okay. But hear me, do not quench the Spirit. Don't say in your mind and heart, oh, I don't believe this stuff, because it'll stop. But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, 
He says, test them all. You know what that means? Don't swallow it whole. Oh, you said God said, okay. No, he says, weigh it. What does it mean to weigh? It's not all right or all wrong. Paul said we prophesy in part. You know what part means, 1 Corinthians? Imperfectly. That means you will get a prophecy that is imperfect because people prophesy imperfectly. So it's not all right or wrong. It might be they got the first image right, but then they just jacked up interpretation and application. That's okay. What does that verse say? Modern day age, chew up the meat, spit out the bones. That's what he's saying. Test them all. Just test it. Test the word. So I got this picture from God, Craig. What do I do? A few questions. Does it line up with scripture? Because God won't contradict himself. Number two, is it strengthening, encouraging, and comfort? Then it's prophecy. And three, does it already confirm or correct what the Spirit's already stirring in my life? Look at me, church. With New Testament prophecy, I won't say this is true for all. I would say 90%. Maybe 10% if you're in open rebellion, the word of prophecy will come and you won't be expecting it. But for 90% of you, for, for you, you people, you love Jesus. So prophecy for you is not gonna be that way. It's going to already confirm what the Spirit of God's doing in you. And you're gonna know. And it's just gonna be affirmation. Yes, yes, keep going. And he says, hold on to what's good and reject what's evil. What's the best place to do this? Your connect group. Oh, it's a powerful day. You know, you know what a mush pot is, right? It's the, the adult version of a mush pot is put somebody in the chair, get some spirit-filled believers around him and say, hey, we're gonna do something. We're gonna pray for you. Because we're safe and we're gonna pray. Now, has anybody got any words? Anybody got any images come to mind? And then you let people share. Oh, it's powerful. It's one of the most powerful moments of my entire life have happened in mush pots for Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.